0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. back to the warhorse podcast episode number 2 once again our sponsor tonight is humble nursery and farmstead humblenursery.com for truly the best elderberry syrup and um herb concoctions potions salves and other uh, witchy very witchy products I highly recommend them big fans of the show Um, regarding rituals which we've been on for a little bit now I uh, I cleaned my carry piece tonight my current carry piece which is this SIG 230 made in West Germany. I picked this up probably eight years ago, maybe ten now. And I drove over to a, an old guy's apartment in uh, outside of Ashland, Oregon and um, he wasn't that old he was probably late 50s and I was I guess probably late 30s at the time and um, I'll never forget it it was just such an odd experience he was a musician had a big old plate a weed I think this was before it was entirely legal big old plate of weed in his all his paraphernalia, you know—the grinders and the three different gradients of of weed that he had processed for, you know, bong hits or joints or whatever he was doing—and he had all his very nice musical equipment, and he had a um, a ton of ammo. Uh, like sitting in a room it was like something out of a episode of Miami Vice but he sold me this piece and I love it I had the um, I believe all of these came with a sort of glossy blued finish that I had sandblasted off and then uh, parkerized with sort of a black tone tyson's corner virginia which i looked up recently and i didn't know where that was but some of you guys might know it's uh, uh, northern virginia i believe Yep, right by washington dc the land of the fabled secret army of northern virginia also referred to as in my neck of the woods anyway the people that I grew up with uh, the Virginia boys as as referenced in the novel King of Dogs so I clean this pistol tonight and uh, this always relaxes me I don't remember even when I've done stuff like that for you know, for other people have hired me or asked me to do it, you know. It's just always an enjoyable activity. And, um, I don't know that I will clean and oil guns before every podcast, but I will continue to make sure they're near. Um, once again, my tomahawk and my, um, from, uh, Walk by Faith seven seven seven. Outstanding piece of work, I have to say. Um, and then my my winkler and the spider co. All at hand. I'm in the war horse. She's resting and there's a full moon out. Uh, the coyotes were just yapping. And I can see the city lights off in the distance. Very nice. Very nice evening. And um, I had the great blessing to see my son and then uh, eat fantastic organic meal with my wife. And um, then we sat down and watched... I think it was Episodes 6 and 7, it might have been 5 and 6 of Twin Peaks Season 3, the most recent one, which we've talked about, and again, I I like to return back to it. Uh, I think this is the third complete viewing for me, uh, at least of this season, and I noticed... One of these episodes, if um, you seen the the season, um, the David Lynch character, who's sort of a a top guy in the FBI, and um, Albert, who was who was in the first, uh, I think it was the second season, he showed up, and the backstory was that you know they all worked with Dale Cooper uh, the Kyle McLaughlin character in this ultra super secret project, um, evidently, um, part military classified, and then the FBI had heavy involvement called Blue Rose. So in this episode, Bad Cooper has wound up in, uh, federal prison in South Dakota and events have caused the military to get involved and uh, they alert the FBI the David Lynch character goes out can't make heads or tails of uh, you know, his old friend Dale Cooper who is not obviously the real Dale Cooper he is Cooper's doppelganger bad cooper um and then they realize that they need to call on diane and diane is it's a another one of these masterful um strokes you know by the old master who's defying all of the stories about how you know the masterworks are made in your 20s and this seems to be an idea that arose like sometime in the 40s or, or 50s, maybe with the communist wave of academia and all that, their bullshit. Because, you know, as a guy who has concerned himself with this material, film, stories, novels, music, etc., for my entire life, um yeah there there are plenty of examples of great stuff but there are plenty of counter counterexamples uh to this idea that your your best stuff is made in your 20s. It just doesn't follow. You know, how how would you have the time if you're pure genius and you started when you were 4 years old. Yeah, you could be a master by then. Anyway, it's evident to me that David Lynch um, reached his peak, and he's so hyper conscious and so in complete command of his medium. It's uh, it's just a, a joy to to watch, and it's it's not entirely detached. I mean it. It's emotional, it's involving it's thrilling it's incredibly intriguing stuff so Diane, if you'll recall back in nineteen ninety one or whenever whenever that was that the first season of Twin Peaks came out danny is this diane is this voiceless, faceless character who Cooper records these voice memos to, it's almost as if she's a figment of his imagination in a way, his daemon, you know, this would be the type of liaison relationship. And of, of course, if you have not watched the first season, you know, it might not be clear that the whole emphasis on the character of Dale Cooper is that he is this Yeah, he's a great FBI agent, but that's all just, like, easily mastered for him. And he's, he is, in some ways, the pinnacle of the entire detective sort of character. Insofar as film noir is fundamentally concerned with the loss of meaning film noir at the time that it arose in culture introduces us you know introduces this um, figure who similar to the cowboy or various other genre type of characters seem to be restricted in a sense you know maybe maybe they're a version of the knight and that's just the whole story but I'm not entirely sure about that. It's almost as if the knight, as an archetype has been refined and uh you have in Cooper when I say that he's he's this kind of quintessential embodiment of this uh detective character the detective character sort of the defining feature. Of the great examples. uh, Jake Giddies or whoever. um, Is able to go into the darkness. And retrieve. You know from. Uncertainty. From ambiguity. A kind of order. A kind of meaning. And. I. I. I should pause here to say that in all these types of criticisms and secondary commentary, there's a very dangerous tendency to view all this as, you know, three or four layers into a recursive sort of experience. And it smacks up against the whole, the main root driving force of this podcast of, my work now, I, pr- I presume that will, for as long as I live, be the uh, defining feature. Which, not to toot my own horn, we're not going to do this right now at all. I'm just saying it's a its a super um, valuable, I believe, uh, turn on the whole experience of viewing or reading. And that is to um apply these things to your own life. You know, it doesn't mean you need to be a novelist or a filmmaker or, or any of that shit. It just means and it also doesn't mean that you go the other way and just adopt some, you know, surface version of things. As I say like uh do your you do your best Brad Pitt from Fight Club impersonation and man, you're set. You know, what well, fuck, you figured it all out there. You know, that's the NPC. This doesn't apply and I think you guys know what I mean you can you can get lost in this detachment between you and what's on the screen or you and what's in the book and I I think that some of the explanation for the boomers could be found in this uh, knot where the screen was so powerful that it actually displaced pieces of themselves from themselves their multiplicities seem to recoil you know from each other and uh they had a, a you know they failed entirely to they took an order uh, an order of things if you will that was corrupt and corrupted again and again and then Sort of the the last big wave was probably nine eleven, and now we're seeing the full fruits of that entire generation come to be so something to something to ponder there and uh, take note of you know I would encourage you to um, to consider what you do in your own life in relation to you know, this character of the detective who once again is just watch Twin Peaks and you'll understand what I'm saying if you've not. Um, David Lynch has made it so stark and so clear by literally dividing the world into a place where there's a portal and a, uh, a medium ground, a limbo world in the, uh, the Black Lodge, the Red Room. And um, and and in the third season, he at least hints at what lies beyond. And he's created, you know, um, some theology or ontological uh, background for, for all of this stuff. Which, I love all this stuff, so I'll probably go into other aspects of it as we move. But tonight I wanted to draw your attention to this moment where Diane played by um Laura Dern who uh you know I'm not the first to say it but looks pretty remarkable for her age and does a superlative job in this role she um is placed uh I don't I'm not sure what you call it but behind the you know, the glass, uh, she's able to see Cooper. Cooper's restrained, and and he can see her. And she has a microphone to speak into. And the David Lynch FBI character has asked her to pull herself out of her life, uh, I think, in in D.C. or whatever, where she's just sort of living in a trauma loop, essentially. Drinking and um, having one-night stands and just avoiding everything. She's, she's got some, some issues going on. And of course, as the viewers, we've never met her before. So, you know, there's already this, um, implication that perhaps worlds, inner worlds, perhaps just worlds within Dale Cooper are beginning to merge together or in terms of, you know, basic description of reality no that that's not really implied where it's implied is in all of the artistic strokes from once again a master of his craft so as she sits there you can't help but notice that she's wearing this sort of string tank top blouse thing shirt and it's burgundy red exact same colors as the famous curtains of the Red Room and if you shoot forward in the whole series which maybe I will do in this podcast when I you know, get around to watching it in the next few weeks or so but there's a, a huge implication that I will go into In reference to our discussion about portals, rituals, and now, um, you know, inner survival strategies and the archetype of the, the detective. On that last note, you know, there's a great novel, a couple of great novels, actually, probably two or three, by Roberto Bologno. And if you read uh, a few of his work, you'll notice that it's like with a lot of, of uh, writers and creators and whatnot. It's all one world. That's certainly how I view things. And um, Bolaño is absolutely viewing it that way. It's all one giant, you know, 17,000 page novel. Taken from different angles, different points of views, different focus. But it's all one point of view, that of Bologna, And um, he has one called The Savage Detectives, which has, it's it's like 800 pages, but I don't recall a single mention of any police work or detectives. There might be a, you know, passing mention of it, but it's certainly not the focus and it would make you wonder, well, why is it titled Savage Detectives? And Bolaño is clued into this idea. It's very pretty well known. If you wind, if you find yourself, you happen to make the mistake of, you know, winding up in a film class in college or something, eventually you probably come across this stuff. And um, it's not to say it's not true. You know, it's just all the baggage that comes with college. You might as well get it from a podcast for, for five bucks or free or whatever. Um, Bologna In his work, what he's implying is that, you know, we are detectives. And this was sort of a major, maybe subconscious, if you will, breakthrough by the species in modernity to realize that we're in the dark now. And if you want order and you want meaning, you're going to have to go into the dark. As with the Camelot myth and the seeking of the grail, uh, which I'll touch on later. So you're you're deep into you're about well you're not deep. You're you're coming up on halfway through season three and you're still Lynch is still trailing in uh type of language of color. It's in Dougie's weird jackets like lime green, the sort of um as one uh subscriber noted Rather uh, deft, you know, observation, keen observation. That um, this it's kind of like a mustard yellow. Jives with uh, certain certain Buddhist monk attire. I I think orange and yellow are kind of key colors for them. Which again is is Lynch's way into this world. You hear the owl. The owls are not what they seem. So we'll take note of that. That's a good reason to be, you know, to have your weapons arrayed around you, probably at all times. We'll take it as a good sign, though, in this case. So Lynch is like a painter or um, a bricklayer. That's the one I like to think of. He's He's carrying you along even though perhaps you're not familiar with the the esoteric the the Hoffman type of background which again it's a mystery if even you know there's no way lynch can can acknowledge that but did lynch really happen to come across this or is this bigger than both Hoffman and Lynch you know these undeniable absolutely undeniable connections Idaho the Northwest the Cabal the Masonic floor piece the tiling I'm speaking of here anyway that is such a monster rabbit hole it just it requires you to read it but um, it, requ- it would require me to have the book in front of me and about a notebook full of notes, but it's just a s it's just a remarkable like this is an example perhaps of my point where there's a mystery you know uh we have Lynch presenting one type of mystery, we have Hoffman presenting another type of mystery in another medium, and we have you and me noticing perhaps these strange continuities. That exist between very disparate types of sources. Um, maybe not so disparate though, you know, we don't we don't know until you go into the into the dark. So Diane is um she's come to confront Bad Cooper and she's wearing this burgundy color top suggesting of course the red room as we say so what i want to point out is um you have lynch absolutely you know he's not putting this color on a bunch of dudes It's, there are dudes involved with um, the Black Lodge. You know, there's this one-armed man. There's the the midget guy from the, the man from the from the other place or whatever he's called. But for the most part, it seems to be Laura Palmer, this character Annie, who goes in with Cooper at the end of the second season. You have these three. Seems to be like Stygian witch. Um, kind of homage in the third season here, where he's emerging out as hit in this like into this tulpa body and confronting this pretty cool sort of setup. you know where his he's back in his body and his the tulpa that was created by by his doppelganger Cooper, Cooper's you know the bad Cooper in order to kill the good Cooper didn't work, and Cooper's got. Allies in this fight, um, and not to give away too much, but when we do get around to kind of discussing the finale and and whatnot, it it's unknown. It's left. There's a few things that are implied, and one of them is almost that good Cooper um, has set things up in a whole, in a, in, on a whole other level than the kind of push-pull narrative um, that gets us through most of the season with Bad Cooper. And Lynch has set this up in, a, in numerous ways, um, and we've set it up in this podcast in discussions already uh, regarding time which is, again, an ultimate theme here that we're, we're going to develop. And one of the ways that Lynch does this is by bringing in these three, or, uh, three missing pages from Laura Palmer's diary. Um, and the content of these, the timing of, and they, they make this clear in the conversation between the sheriff and um, Hawk, the deputy, who finds the notes? They make it clear that you know Laura died before Cooper ever shows up, and yet she's got notes about him. So wherever she's accessing, when she is being used by the demon Bob, um, presumably to enact dark ritual, um, otherworldly magic here on Earth, you know, through the, her blood sacrifice. it's um it's evident that she's accessing the future, and I know that this is nearly pot impo- this is to many people you're just like this guy's fucking stupid, this guy's cracked again. move on. I think that I've sketched out enough enough of a reason, and you can you know if it hasn't been enough just google what is time and read a couple you know uh, who pick pick whatever you know form of authority you like to turn to whether it's the lab coat or the phd or what have you and you will find that the few honest among them will tell you that they don't really fucking know um so for me and my purposes going into that dark and uh you know in a way it's 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 what was mentioned in king of dogs you know you have these tracks of reality and you have this inborn ability uh science being essentially a type of extension of tracking tracking being a sort of precursor original kernel to the detective. And given the corruption of the law and whatnot, to say that you're not allowed to just claim the title of detective uh, in some existential or mystical manner is uh, pathetic. It's just truly pathetic, and uh, it's you know it's not the t- again the type of push pull pathetic that you can have validated. Uh, By flipping on, you know, Tucker Carlson or whatever else you want to flip on. It's the type of dark shit that's actually under there. Just right below the surface. And it's absolutely pervasive in every aspect of your life. You can see how you're now at the door to death work. You're at the door to finding something that terrifies you. And beginning to actually face it. And that's, I'm not trying to be a giant insensitive dick, you know. If, if some dudes are out there and the stuff that really terrifies them is um, being embarrassed at the gym or not making as much money as their buddies from high school, you know, your anxiety is legitimate too. Okay, I'll validate that. But given the nature of the mainstream um, and given the nature of the outsider in general, the road of the, of the outlier, um, you know, you can understand a bit of my defensiveness, I'm sure. Uh, but having justified it enough here, in these notes that are presented lynch is presenting uh in turn an uncertainty regarding time at least if uh one has access to some type of limbo state which he personally accesses through transcendental meditation who you or i might access um which you and i might access you know through other means um Certainly, as we mentioned before, pretty much all cultures um, in all times were accessing what what was, uh, you know, Eliade has termed sacred time, um, dream time, and um, I will just posit, without going into a great many more justifications, that. this sacred time dream time the slipstream the bizarre the the not profane all right is vastly infinitely more real than all of this man-made shit then all of the cars and all of the buildings all this will be wiped away And this goes to the heart of the technocracy and the heart of the problems, the American, the future American troubles. The true nature of this is spiritual and it's related to uh, a turning away from this knowledge. Um, Hoffman would argue that that was an intentional turning away. Uh, Nietzsche might suggests that, well, I don't know, but it, it's terrible and we need to do something else, which is also probably not correct or very helpful, really. Rather, kind of upholds the the narrative of despair, if you ask me. I'm not a huge fan, and I'm not a huge fan of the many, many uh, sort of... Mm, what do you call them reply guys Nietzschean reply guys this sort of level of I think Heidegger was much uh, much more useful personally but of course Heidegger had his debts as well so anyway you have the shaking up of time and then you have again a shaking up of the structure of um of what reality is you know what is it is it a reflection of the red room is it a reflection is it a piece of a larger um ontological you know machine or um construct where you find out you know in the next few episodes that there's um a corollary to the Black Lodge, which is, I guess, the White Lodge. I don't think it gets a name. And the giant occupies this place with, I think, his wife. Um, fascinating. I mean, just stunning, you know, uh, creation. And yet firmly rooted in um, very well-documented, shamanistic, uh, religious Observations of there being a different sort of actual context in which we find ourselves. You know, uh, where Heidegger go. You know, where I de- I depart from Heidegger. I like him. I like philosophy, but I depart from philosophy at a certain point as well. In general. Um. So, but where I you know I see him going wrong, where I just okay tell him to take the exit is is when his worldview um, is reduced to just simply a gigantic assumption um, that this is it. And by this is it, you know, that's, uh, and again, another couple thousand pages of describing it in order to hope that we're talking about the same thing, which to me sort of implies, uh, you know, I guess there's some ambiguity about what. It is right here, right fucking now. But this was always the failing of philosophers, right? So what I mean by Lynch implying uh, flexibility or an ambiguity or, um, let's say, a relationship between these poles, these um, structures that are laid out. You know, there's the White the white Lodge, the Black Lodge, um, portals of all sort, Earth. But Earth itself is being, um, is almost a reflection. So sort of a, a reflection of a spiritual war. And yet, the events that take place here are crucial to the outcomes in these other worlds. It sounds a lot like... Man is the image of God, and man is made uh, even greater than the angels. And man does not understand his, the value of his true role yet. Sounds a lot like that. And the way I see Lynch doing this is in these mirrored suggestions through his use of women as themselves a type of portal or pieces of a portal by identifying them coding them with this color um, almost as if they're in some secret band uh, tribe coven that cannot even be spoken of even in lynchian terms which which says a lot but it can be suggested or implied I referred to this idea once before as uh, relating to Leonard Cohen's song Sisters of Mercy they have not departed or gone no they have not in Orthodox Christianity in iconography you have a very um, sacred and a strict a sort of lineage and code visual language passed down 3,000 or more years. When the color red is used to clothe or shroud the Theotokos, Mother Mary, you have, you know, various symbolic suggestions. There's there's information literally being communicated, and we have again Hoffman mentions this. We have in the modern era lost the ability, this the uh, visual literacy that once was a birthright, and it's no, you know it's no big surprise that the technocracy's greatest tool is the screen, whether it's the iPhone or the movie screen or the TV screen or the computer screen, all of these screens as suggested, you know, by Kubrick in 2001, this big monolith showing up to oversee the, you know, quote evolution of these apes into war itself, you know, a sort of deception at root, its nature. Hoffman makes, you know, just opens the book by pretty much punching you in the nose with his report that I never heard, even though I was on planet Earth in 2001, in January, that in January, in Seattle, uh, in a certain park, um, I think, I guess it was January 1. Um, sometime late, I guess, New Year's Eve, um, a monolith of exactly this sort emerged you know just look at your iPhone and that's the golden mean that's the ratio and this is the form that this monolith took it emerged planted into this park in Seattle Seattle known for all sorts of techie type of stuff and not much else really and um it disappears shortly later. Hoffman uses this to, to build out his his own again, uh, sort of like symbolic archaeology, you know like re taking over or taking back this literacy that that we once had through very careful scholarship over uh, his entire life. What did Lynch do? How did Lynch have this information um, such that he's operating under a similar code as I say three thousand years ago the color red implies blood, wine and generally the earthly existence um, you know flesh is red well, what does that what does that mean well until you have, if you have the one monad, it doesn't mean anything. If you have two points, you can make a line. If you have three, all of a sudden you have space. And so just like with physics, um, you have a similar thing in, in such a language of, of iconography. Or for that matter, a language of film or, or literature. Or body language or all sorts of other things that uh, that we're just you know uh, we're like we're like animals essentially Um, and we're working to change that so blue indicates um, the other realm the heavenly the sky the ocean um, and If I had, you know, a video of this, it would be easier to point out. So you have to trust me or once again, if you guys remind me, I can stuff it in the notes. I'm kind of lagging on that, but I I will. uh, I got a lot going on, but uh, I know it's important. So um, I'm doing what I can right now in that regard. Um, Suffice to say that if you take a look at many, many, many different icons, I'm sure you can Google this, you will find that oftentimes there will be an oval like an almond or the shape of you know um, an eye turned vertical and uh, you see this in the Vesica Pisces which is the Jesus fish that you see on people's cars and stuff That, that slice of the Venn diagram that itself is implying there's this world there's that world and then there's this part of this world, these two worlds excuse me, where they intersect well, there you go, we look at this Venn diagram and we get the scientific use of it and we don't get any of the other uses of it this was a common way to illustrate the portal um, and it's often associated with Mother Mary we know that childbirth the the vaginal canal the birth canal is a type of portal that if you've had a child i don't need to say anything more you did your business 9 months later a human being emerged from this portal and it changed your life in every every conceivable way um the soul arrived from somewhere and um A, a good bit of this, you know, is probably maybe you guys have picked up on it. And um, you know, Jay Dyer has touched on similar things. Um, I've always been a big fan of Jay and a big supporter of Jay. Um, uh One hell of a guy. And uh, he's touched on, on similar stuff. Again, Jonathan Pajot is another guy. Uh, You know, he specializes in symbolism and iconography, and so you're not going to get the the sort of immense variety that uh, J. Dyer provides, but you do get a specialization that's very valuable. And what I'd like to do as the novelist is provide, you know, yet another uh, angle and a, a specialized angle, if you will. Um, probably heretical and, uh, somewhat speculative, borderline insane, perhaps. Uh, but it's something that's, that's, a, that I've pondered now for, uh eh, four or so years, I'd say. So long enough that it's really, really nagged at me. This other, um, you know, this other sort of information about, um at least some assumptions or thoughts regarding portals and the association with females I have all, I've been familiar with for a long, long time. So, there's a guy named Eric, though it looks like Erich von Neumann, and he was evidently a big student of Jung. Carl Gustav Jung, the great Swiss, I think Swiss, uh, psychoanalyst, psychiatrist, psychologist. Uh, very, very heavy, heavy dude. And got away with absolute murder. I mean, talk about speculative. Talk about, uh, mystical. And, uh, has provided a lot of fodder, you know, for I mean plenty of plenty of uh, speculative literary ventures as well as plenty of absolutely corrupt um political or you know psychological warfare types of projects so he's got one book i don't think that von neumann you know is good bad or whatever we're indifferent on him he great scholar and um I personally have not gone real into his life. Um, His major work is, I believe it's called The Origin and History of Consciousness, or The Origins and History of Consciousness. And he's got another one called The Great Mother. So, in, in the first one, The Origins and History of Consciousness, he opens with a large section that I believe is called the Great Mother. It's certainly about archetypes, symbolism, cultural, um, culture, you know, cultures arising around this figure of the Mother. And he goes into some disturbing areas. And he's talking about the fecundity which is like fec uh fecundity meaning like uh growth and but also fecal you know the associations here are undeniable it's you know it's like this earthy very loamy um connotations and there's there's a number of fertility type of cults that also were worshiping snakes or involved snakes and you have in this set of associations that were in a not yet schizophrenic manner stringing together but we might border on that in a few moments you have you know the kundalini association that comes uh it's associated with some forms of real out there uh, sort of not it's yoga but it's not actually yoga to pause real quick um, the yoga that we have in America I've I've gone fairly deep into this and I think this is the correct answer I would certainly not steer you wrong and I have confirmed this with numerous uh, PhD extremely as possibly as legit as is possible to get scholars uh, of orthodoxy and and literature that and then i've looked into the actual uh, material history that we have you know on yoga in america and this stuff arrived in the 60s and it came over with this big wave of uh whatever his name is um, maha maharishi Ma whatever a bunch of sort of culty guru yogis were seemingly flown over here in connection with the Beatles, and you know, yoga was right there. And then it was meditation. Then fast forward a bunch of years, and you have these more athletic varieties of yoga, which took some of the I don't know the the, the physical aspects of it, but Only lately have they tried to tie back in this really spiritual component. And the history is, is that in Indian yoga, there were, I think, four, maybe seven poses. The main ones were just sitting there. So it had absolutely nothing to do with um, downward dog or frog pose or any. There's thousands that have just been essentially invented and renamed and studied and refined here in the West. So if anything, modern yoga is an invention of the West and you are not worshiping demons. This is a point where Jay Dyer and I just totally differ. He's not done the research. No offense to Jay. Um, he's probably maybe been to one or two yoga classes. Are they fruity and totally fake and gay half the time um, in these classes? Is all this? Yes, we've already established this and I agree 100% the whole notion of doing some of our own uh, cultural appropriation is a joke, you know, pointing to this. Uh, the left or the blue church or whatever, we, you know, the urbanites, they don't own this, you know. Uh, they, they sure, they're not going to take it from me uh, and I've taken from the people that created it and put it together. Anyway, a little minor digression there into this business about about yoga kundalini the snake so back to the the symbolism the symbology regarding the the fecund the sort of you know there's all sorts of the filthy nature of the woman you know is if you if again you go to an orthodox priest and you kind of get the the real deal on this stuff it's not it's not like oh she's dripping blood on the ground and that's nasty what it has to do with in fact is that she is unpure, which are the words I believe in a couple of versions of, of those that part of scripture. But unpure does not mean like she's got bacteria on her or something. What it means is that she is incomplete. She is shedding a portion of herself. So if she's in this sense, this is a, this is much more spiritual. She's in a state um and again, I think we have one female listener who who may, you know, probably doesn't want to get into this for us. She she whoever she is, I think she's my sister. Uh, you know. But we as men and women who are honest will know that probably the best thing for women to do when they're having their periods is to just give them a few days off because you can we can make this case that it's entirely physical, but that's ridiculous. It's not entirely physical. You're, there's an envelope of life. So an envelope of, as the, phys, uh, the physicists say, infinite potentiality was just opened and folded and discarded. And another one is on the, you know, the quote conveyor belt. And this is happening by the by the billions all around us all the time. And all of that potentiality, those potentials are filtering down through these various funnels of free will and choice to arrive at this exact moment of me and you Um, and it's happening all the time this is the type of you know fearsome terrifying fecundity of life I mean life out here in the desert it's everywhere it doesn't look like it is but it is and down in the south, you know, everything's or in the Midwest right now, it's it's dying and it's simply preparing for this massive explosion once again. So there's a case to be made that life is not, you know, in a general generalized sense, it's not having any troubles. Um, there's other cases to make that we've we've made a lot of troubles for it. This uh, angle that. You know, We're all actually involved in a death cult And that's pretty much what Hoffman is suggesting That we've been initiated into A ritualized version of our own extinction Which would kind of seem If taken from a certain angle You can see a lot of this going on in the news And in, in, in any, any number of different ways You can make this case You can take it as a giant metaphor, that's fine so back to von Neumann, the snake, you know, slithers around on the ground among the muck and uh, certain shamans, I suppose, in India. Uh, and, you know, the the snake is damn near ubiquitous um, in all cultures as a, a weird symbol of life. Um, of course, he's in the Bible, a weird symbol of evil, wisdom, a lot of different attributes. And this variety of attributes points to something more than the, the Jordan Petersonian, uh, you know, ridiculous reduction that, you know, we're just these essentially randomized, yet not random, you know, in this way that he's just keeping one foot in in each camp, why he is doing this. Uh, we would like to know. Again, not bagging on Mr. Peterson. Uh the offer still stands and we make the we make the presentation. We try at Golden Goat Guild once a week to remind the good doctor that the phone lines are open, my DMs and emails are open, and there's also a giveaway that we've not mentioned on the podcast. If you go down in the Instagram posts a little ways, maybe maybe six or eight months there's a giveaway post and it details what you have to do to win what the prizes are the prizes are spectacular um and what you have to do is totally doable no one has grabbed this brass ring just yet i know that my champion is out there and i have faith that um dr peterson is either currently reading king of dogs and trying to put his mind back together after having it scorched, blown out the back of his skull, or um, probably awaiting delivery from Amazon. In either event, you know we're on this timeline and so I would I would relish the opportunity to to get into some of that um, on a personal level with him. I don't I don't have, um, I do respect the guy quite a bit, and I'm like a lot of people, even though I'm way down the line on the on the beliefs you know I'm grateful for the role that he's playing in terms of shining light on bridges that are well traveled and that people can take in order to um get their shit together and then square up with what's real so What's perhaps not real is, is my personal speculation that I will um, launch into now. And if I had more technical audio acumen, I would do some sort of you know chime or uh, maybe hit the, the Tuvan throat singing, which I really love, in the background. Maybe I'll find a way to edit that in if you guys... Well, then you couldn't remind me. I will probably forget. That's kind of the nature of how this goes, but you never know. We'll make a note. So launching into the speculation. Taking into consideration the the portal, the fecundity, the snake, the... the our diminished or entirely uh, lost literacy regarding symbolism. And also, one thing we didn't mention was that, you know, the sheer power of some of these cults and the debt that this society, that we are all living off of, you know, like it or not, we criticize it, I criticize it, but there's a debt to be paid. And it might be a dark debt, and that might be... <laughs> we might be the uh the poor bastards who end up paying it we're, we're finding out but um either way you know there's a dark twisted back to the twin peaks and lynch um the success of that show in so far as it's a soap opera is that it expertly juxtapose the the frivolity the um the loose kind of joy of the 1950s that is, you know, shattered actually in 46, but ultimately by the time, you know, we get to the the, the show in the 90s is, you know, very, very dark clouds are on the horizon. Uh, the storm that casts those clouds is, is now our reality. And it's the reality that Lynch made that, that third season in. and it that's the season in which he is once again a sort of shaman or uh, pictographer would that be the word for one who makes pictograms and hieroglyphs i'm not sure he's the guy sketching this out along with hoffman and others but He's picking up on this um, this portal aspect of things. Clearly, you know we we don't even need to mention. I mean, there's the sycamore grove. There is a portal that must be timed. That he depicts as kind of a black goo, an ectoplasm. Again, if if we that we've we've discussed this, and uh, there's a tear, you know, or are uh, constructed. Passageway within the fabric of the universe that you can pass through and uh, there's this there's a uh, a very smart guy who I won't mention his name because I, I don't know that he wants to be mentioned but he's a friend of mine and um, super high, highly intelligent fellow and I was speaking with some of this stuff, about some of this stuff, with him one time. And he made the statement that women appear to be guardians of a mystery that is better left uh, undisturbed. Now, have you ever met anybody that would say something like that? Maybe. Um I hope for your case you have, he's one, he's one good dude. And, um, having taken some, some pretty serious lumps, you know, in my life, uh, I have a, I'm, I'm split on this idea. I think that, you know, part of what has already happened is that we've tampered with this mystery and it might be the kind of thing where now that we've tampered with it, well, we're going to have to unravel the whole fucking thing. And, and wind it back up or something along those lines the way that some tangles some tangles do so you know at the same time uh, you know there is a terrifying darkness uh, and I'll approach some of that to kind of give you an idea what I mean you know Children of Men is another pretty decent film that uh, sort of shows the shutting down of this portal insofar as this female portal is just a a life-giving apparatus, you know. The birth canal. Um, This precedes presumably the extinction of mankind. That's pretty dark. It's pretty dark. um, Well, maybe not dark, but you know it's dark enough that, according to these Orthodox priests, what is being suggested in the scripture is that women in the state of um, of ovulating or in their peri- in in the moment of the time period of of shedding uh, are to be avoided because they are quote you know unpure un- is the word that was translated into it but the actual meaning of it is more like, not whole, um, which isn't a detriment to women. It's implying that there's, um, a <laughs> again, the Venn diagram, uh, go back to the Pisces. There is a window, an envelope that is open and now it's, you know, it's either being shut and maybe you don't want to deal with what was shut. Maybe from the, the, um, the scientific sort of angle you know can you even pull up past potentialities that are no longer well they they would say that they're they're there somewhere um and if they are okay well you're immediately in extremely dark extremely dangerous territory um terrifying in its implications for your own existence for all of our existence um to say nothing of the madness that would ensue if everybody understood the fragility of things. So, more a bit, the last kind of bit of speculation here along the, along these lines is we have the word cult, culture, and uh, the little bit of digging I've done on this seems to show that. Culture like a yogurt culture, or um, an agar culture, stems from uh, essentially the microbiome of of one of a family of a clan of a tribe uh, relative to breast uh, milk, um, and this is well known at this point that there's all of this nutrition in breast milk Uh, that's the baby's first line of defense that's the that's the origin of the baby's immune system and it is literally a culture a culture of bacteria uh, antibodies uh, you know it's kind of like god knows even what but there is a is a cocktail a brew that is imparted to the child from the mother and say that child is a is a female child fast forward 15 20 whatever years and now that culture is being passed in milk to the next child and uh there's a bit more to the etymology there but this is an undeniable feature So, the whole g i tract you know we take from we we have we have another portal, if you will, so this is the fecundity, the fecal, the growth, all of this you know compost there's this other portal here, and um you know maybe whatever I'm not going into this like it's a dark portal we know we all of this. <laughs> Very fertile ground, again, for uh, jokes and whatnot is, is well-trod. But um, it's good stuff, too. However, um, you have as well in this whole GI, GI tract uh, a symbolism of the coiled snake, or a nest of snakes, even. And um, you start to get into some weird as-above-so-below sort of imagery um internal external and this is about as far as i can take it you know i feel i i sense that there's several possibilities either like the next the next step is just truly uh schizophrenic type of you know absurd associations uh, these associations are meaningless because the words are uh have maybe taken on in you know, other meanings have altered etc um, or you know another possibility is the female body itself um might contain some kind of properties that Again, with the Venn diagram, relate to both worlds—the world we come from and return to, or the the next place that we level up to, or what uh, you know, the veil, what's beyond the veil, the unknown, etc. I don't believe that our ancestors just sat there and stared at all this stuff and had no intelligent connect, you know, conceptions of these things. They seem vastly more intelligent than the idiotic waste of life that essentially most of us are now. Most of us are meat, it's a joke, but we're meat cogs. We're NPCs, and we're on the actual verge of sort of a final lobotomy that's going to, that we won't even be able to joke about it anymore. Uh, it'll just simply be. And I wonder what these, you know, these characters sitting on bluffs, maybe chewing some peyote cactus or maybe they're in, you know, the foothills of Austria tanking up on magic mushrooms and going on the wild hunt or maybe they're in the Levant uh, just drinking very special wine. I don't know. Uh, but I do know that we're still living with the vestiges of all this, and we are still we're we're kind of at a point where LaFond, I mean, so many guys. I like LaFond's take, but so many guys have McCarthy pointed this out in a roundabout, oblique way in Blood Meridian once again that the reengineering of of the female. Through the um, mechanism, the contrived—I uh, would say—evil that is feminism, philosophical and in all waves, has altered the the structure of all social relations, politics, the military, arts. I just go down a list and find me a place where where you know it hasn't. And it occurs to me that if at the same time, you know, we're still butting up against this potential reality that there is multiple, you know, unknown, potentially dangerous, not dangerous, like I'll whoop your ass dangerous, but like dangerous that you're meddling with forces beyond your control dangerous related to the female species, in the sense that we are, Orthodoxy tells us that we are a co-relative, you know that we are made for each other, and there again, the conception that most of us were indoctrinated to believe is that uh, there's these two sexes, and this one has some this, but now the two sexes are there's there's 22 sexes, and it doesn't, it's totally fluid. Everyone knows that that whole tale is festooned with rotten contradictions it's just a line of bullshit why such an obvious line of bullshit what's really happening here is the female of our species being remolded into some other type of portal or is the portal you know being used for some uh some means unnatural to us may you know something designed either more by a demon or a madman certainly not by thousands of years of experimental culture tradition that you know was based on survival success certainly not thousands of years of religious truth and tradition based on the word of god no none of that is happening so the question that I bring to you, listeners of the Warhorse podcast, is what the fuck is going on there? And uh, I don't think I can segue into, you know, what kind of camp kit uh, might be good to, to populate your, your bug out bag with right now. Um, so we'll take a break and, um, you know, we'll pick up on this again. If you guys are shocked, dismayed, intrigued, what have you, I thought, you know, long and hard about even sharing this, this line of thinking, um, and I'm going to share it in other forums in the future. Uh, but hopefully we can, uh, you guys can help me develop it or, or, uh. least provide some feedback one way or another but as mentioned we'll be back with you in a minute